Welcome to the Terrible Podcast with your host from SteelersDepot.com, where you can find all your latest and greatest Steelers news. It's Dave Bryan and Alex Kazora, always lit, talking Steelers. And now, here's Dave and Alex. Welcome to the Terrible Podcast, Season 14, Episode 81. He's Dave Bryan. I'm Alex Kazora, SteelersDepot.com. Thanks for being back with us here this Wednesday, Steelers Nation. They have getting the offseason moving along here. Draft profiles going up on the site. Some coaching-related matters to talk about today. Pittsburgh starting their OC search. How you doing? Uh, happy Wednesday. Uh, woke up this morning to a Alex Kazora 2024 NFL draft player profile. That was, uh, uh, it's like the, that's like, uh, uh, that's like groundhog waiting for the, uh, uh, not groundhog day. Uh, what's the one where the, uh, uh, the right of spring there, uh, in pop, pop, Ponsatani. Yeah, that's Groundhog Day. Oh, yeah, is that Groundhog it. Day? Okay, yep. I, I, uh, getting a little bit confused there, mm-hmm. out, out of the shoot there. But it's like uh, spring is coming, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Alex Kazora has his first uh, draft profile up, uh, and it's a guy that we talked about the other day, Darius Robinson out of Missouri. We'll talk a little bit because I went uh, watched one game of his as well since we last talked, and also uh, we'll we'll compare and contrast notes, and obviously got some offensive coordinator uh, news to. To, to uh, or at least per, you know reported, I guess interviews or seeming forthcoming interviews that we'll talk about. So we ought to be able to squeeze an hour out of this today. I think we will. Let's jump right on into it. Day Pittsburgh kicking off their OC search, at least according to reports. Nothing official from the team yet, but the two names we can put in the OC basket: Zach Robinson, the Los Angeles Rams pass game coordinator. Pittsburgh has submitted an an interview request to the Rams to talk to Zach Robinson. I'm sure that'll happen at some point here sooner than later. And then apparently, and this one to me, it's it's a little strange just based on how it got reported out, but Peter King revealing just mid-conversation on Tuesday in a radio appearance that Pittsburgh plans to talk to Cliff Kingsbury as well, who worked at USC in 2023, the former Arizona Cardinals head coach and kind of known as an offensive guy. So Starting with Robinson here, Dave. Again, they're going to they're going to cast a wide net. They're going to interview a bunch of people. So um, I don't want to necessarily react, or I should say, overreact to any one particular name. But Robinson, kind of that young up and comer in the McVay system, former quarterback. There are some ties to Mason Rudolph, whatever that's worth. Your impression of the news here? Uh, first and foremost, it's important to reemphasize that these reports the team has obviously not announced uh, this stuff. Uh, as as far as interviews or anything like that officially. Uh, I think the Robinson one came from what Albert Breer and the uh, Cliff Kingsbury one came kind of nonchalant by Peter King, but mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the exact wording that he used sure makes it sound like a uh, meeting is going to happen or has happened or along those lines there. So uh, Zach Robinson, my overall thoughts on both the names overarching thoughts is that cast like you said casting a wide net here uh obviously if you go back and you parse what mike tomlin had to say about kind of what he's looking for in an offensive coordinator uh 
Zach Robinson because of the lack of the, the actual OC play calling experience would seem not to fit in that category. Now, uh, the more I thought about it with, with Rob Robinson's more exciting because of what you don't know about him to me, right? You don't have, Mm -hmm. you don't have him as a, he's an up and comer. He has not yet uh, hit the NFL yet as a true offensive coordinator play caller. And then obviously kind of his roots and his path to where he is right now probably makes him the more exciting of the two because of the unknown related to what, what, you know, what, what his potential, he, he's probably going to be an OC at some point uh, uh, in, 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 in the national football league. I think we both can agree on that. Uh, The lack of experience uh, at that right now is, is the pause of concern, especially when rolling back through what, what Mike Tomlin had to say uh, here. Uh, I, the more I thought about it when it comes to him, uh, the relationship Mike Tomlin has with Sean McVay, uh, I almost wonder if this, this was a courtesy, get his name, help him get circulated and comfortable with the interview process. And then on top of it, why not pick his brain? on because you never know what you might miss you know uh and you know you might go into this thing thinking well this is what i want but if you don't interview other outside fringe candidates outside of maybe what you have written down as things you're looking for you might you might miss them you know look who thought mike tomlin was going to be the head coach of exactly of, of, of the steeders way back in in what was it 2007 uh there and you know uh uh one year defensive coordinator up and comer in the league so you know could could zach robinson be the new you know the the new up and comer there so uh it, and then obviously you've got the links to, you know, Mason Rudolph and he helped train and, uh, 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 Mason Rudolph during the combine and pro day stuff. And both those guys are Oklahoma, Oklahoma state products. I don't think you just look at it and say, you'll look at it from that angle. It's just mm-hmm. a, 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 something else to note in there. But, uh, and then obviously you've got the links to what, what's going on over there with the Rams and what McVay's doing schematic wise. And so, you know, look, I am glad to see them cast a wide net. And, uh, I don't think Robinson's going to be the selection, but it is good to see them cast a wide net. Here's what I think the interview request boils down to talking to presumably a smart individual coming from a system of success in Los Angeles from McVeigh that's produced OCs, Shane Waldron, for example, in Seattle. Now the Bears OC, the guy that I wanted, and now obviously off the table um, for whatever it's worth. And it's not worth much, but it should be worth mentioning that Robinson did call plays for the Rams this preseason. Sean McVeigh is pretty well known for letting assistant coaches become the play caller in, in in the preseason. Waldron did that before he got hired away by Seattle. Robinson did that. The preseason called him from the booth, called him from the sideline. So obviously it's not regular season. There's not really the game planning element, the pressure element, et cetera. Um, your playbooks pare down, but at least the actual physical act of doing it, Robinson has at least done it before, albeit to a different degree than he would 
if he gets hired as an OC somewhere. Agreed. Uh, and you would agree that you would be a bit shocked if he ends up being a selection. I don't know how I would react to it, probably to an extent, because I think they do want somebody who has had that experience overall. That would be their, their strong preference, at least, because the last two you know, OCs in Pittsburgh had never called plays at the NFL level. And Randy Feetner, Matt Canada, they want somebody who feels like they don't have to learn on the job and can kind of hit the ground running and maybe reduce some of the growing pains as you install a new offense and a really important year for this team, this offense, and for somebody like Kenny Pickett. I, I don't think it's necessarily a get his name out there because he seems to be in pretty high demand. What he's interviewed with the Raiders, I think the Patriots are talking to him. He's had a lot of interest. And as you said, probably he's going to be an OC sooner than later, but I just think they want to, you know, Tomlin respects McVay, respects what they do over there in Los Angeles and want to pick the brain of somebody who's part of that tree. And, you know, maybe McVay said, Hey, you should talk to him, you know, <laughs> yeah, a good chance of that. I think, you know, and, uh, early in the process, why wouldn't you, you know, sure. so, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see where that goes. Uh, anything else to add about, out about Robinson? No, we covered it. Now with Kingsbury, again, as you kind of referenced, the only person that's mentioned this so far was Peter King. And he mentioned it so casually. He thought he was talking about the weather in Pittsburgh. He just, they were, he, he was asked about this in an appearance on 93.7, the fan, they were talking about Kingsbury just kind of theoretically. And then King just happened to say he's spoken with Chicago and he's going to speak with Pittsburgh, really interesting places and kind of had to do a double take on on what King had said. And that's all he said about it. But that is exactly what he said. So unless he misspoke and got confused, he's reporting, apparently, that Pittsburgh at some point will talk to Cliff Kingsbury. And then what near the report late last night about him uh, talking to the Eagles, was it? Yeah, he had, we, we confirmed he interviewed virtually with the Eagles on Tuesday. That is confirmed. Okay. Uh, as far as uh, Cliff Kingsbury, uh, the offensive coordinator, you know, obviously head coaching experience uh, most recently uh, with the Cardinals. Uh, if you look at what he's at, at, you know, his history and, and what he, what he tried to do in Arizona, uh, you know, obviously an air raid, uh, product, you know, product and, uh, at his core, uh, kind of the schematics that, that, that he has used and kind of the system that, that he's part of and likes to be attached to. Uh, I think when you go back, uh, uh, with, with his work with Arizona, you didn't see a lot of motion there. You didn't see, you saw hardly any under center, uh, type stuff. You saw a lot of static usage of personnel. Uh, in, in my opinion, what I know about his offense didn't do a good job of marrying pass game to run game very well. It To me, it seems kind of like an odd fit, and it seems it doesn't I, – I would – I would choose them not go down that path unless Kingsbury has evolved. If you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, I, I get that. And that was because he was on that list. I was considering when I put together the most logical options initially, and I kind of scratched them off, never wrote them up because, you know, the system didn't feel like it, it totally fits what Pittsburgh is looking for a bit more wide open, a bit more of that spread feel. I thought Peter King made the interesting point to note that, you know, 
Kingsbury, some of his teams have had success running the football. In Arizona, there were years where they were one of the better running teams, but of course they had somebody like Kyler Murray that you know, utilized the scrambling and quarterback run game, things that you're not going to get to that degree in, in Pittsburgh. So I think those numbers get skewed a bit by that quarterback mobility that kind of helped boost those numbers that Pittsburgh would not be able to offer. Right. Uh, I just, just remembering what he did at Arizona and obviously his, his schematic roots, it, it, and once again, you know, you always want to talk to guys and, and get their thoughts and maybe the things that, that he learned and is willing to implement as far as changes go, go, uh, it just, What's on tape most recently with him in Arizona feels like an odd fit. Yeah, to a degree. I don't want to make, and I have not made a final conclusion because whoever the hire is, I'll do you know a real thorough deep dive into. So I'm not trying to you know put thumbs up, thumbs down, but I'm kind of with you in terms of just it, it feels like Kingsbury's system is different than what Pittsburgh, I mean, what their strengths are, what they plan to run. Um, you know, I will say the Cardinals offense, even in bad years, were never terrible. I mean, their worst year was better than Pittsburgh's had in the last four or right. five years in terms of points per game. And they had some years where they were one of the, again, better scoring offenses. So, um, the, I mean, the guy is known for an offensive background and offensive mindset and, you know, success in college. So, you know, I can see those things. And again, experienced guy, you know, it's called plays kind of a di- different version of maybe the what Zach Robinson will be 10 years from now where it's, you know, you, you've had that experience and you've worn those hats. You've been a head coach, you've been a play caller, um, college, you know, NFL level, you kind of have those different backgrounds. So again, that's part of the the casting, the wide net, but uh, we'll see if the interview even happens and you know, how the, how far things go. I'm still kind of waiting for some more reporting because I imagine if Kingsbury is really in talks with Pittsburgh, other outlets will pick up on that pretty quickly. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, as as between the two, talking about Robinson and and, and Cliff, uh, Cliff obviously fits more fits really checks all the boxes that Mike mm-hmm. Tomlin rolled through. Uh, just whether or not he likes what he hears as far as ideas and schematics and how he would implement that in in what what the what the Steelers plan on being personnel wise uh, uh, moving forward. It was still just so strange because King, I almost get the, and I'm just kind of speculating, and King said what he said. There's no dispute about the actual quote, but I almost feel like he was under the impression that Pittsburgh had already talked to him, and that's why he was being asked about Cliff Kingsbury, and he just kind of said that. I wish somebody would have followed up and be like, "Uh, can you repeat that like 10 more times, Peter? Are you saying that they're talking with Cliff Kingsbury? It just was so so off the cuff. So I'm still well, waiting I mean, for just, just, just go ahead and tell the folks up front. We, 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 uh, debated even writing that up. Yeah. I mean, whenever, cause let me, let me find the exact quote. I, I want to make sure I'm uh, as, as accurate. Well, he said as he, possible. There, something going to talk to go. It was the, the direct quote was going to talk to Pittsburgh, right? Yeah. Let me pull up the, the exact kind of context in quote. He said, Quote, right now, he's talked to the Bears, and he's going to talk to the Steelers. Interesting places. The Bears are a running team. The Steelers are a running team. I'll tell you this. If he gets one of these jobs, I guarantee you that team will be a running team. Going back to King, you know, believing there's a bit of a misnomer when it comes to Cliff Kingsbury. So, But again, it was so tucked away and just you know, net, net not mentioned again that I'm just kind of waiting for some more information. All right. So, I mean, by the end of the day, maybe it comes out that he, that, 
that he didn't talk to Pittsburgh or isn't going to talk, you know, but uh, mm-hmm. uh, the th- what, what, and with there being the report late last night about him talking to, to the Eagles, I mean, at least it, it sounds like he's back in the circles of, of talking to people. So it sure. wouldn't be out of the question that he is or has talked to the Steelers. Sure. And he talked with the Bears, too, before Shane Waldron got hired. I just, you know, if, if the reporting's out there about Chicago and Philadelphia, why has no one else said anything about Pittsburgh? How have none of the national reporters mentioned that? Because that's a huge name. It'd be a huge story. You know, Pittsburgh, Kingsbury, that's that's a pretty big headline to to pick up on. And no one else has mentioned it so far. OK. All right. Well, we'll see. We'll keep we'll, it posted. Yeah. yeah, we'll see what happens. And King said what he said. And so there's no debate about that. Before we talk about some more coaching type things, Pittsburgh signing four more or five more players, excuse me, to their offseason roster announced yesterday. Defensive back Kalen Barnes, defensive back Thomas Graham, linebacker Tyler Murray, linebacker David Perales, and defensive back Josiah Scott. So three defensive backs and two linebackers. Perales, undrafted free agent, has bounced on and off the practice squad over the course of the season. Um, I think most of these guys were on and off the practice squad at some point. Barn, Scott, I don't think Graham was. He might be the exception. I think he was brought in for a workout at some point late in the season. So Pittsburgh adding some defensive backs to the roster. Uh, yeah, they're starting to fill up that 90-man roster a little bit now. What are they at number-wise? I don't have my spreadsheet open. Oh, here I do. Uh, I know you always have it open. Yeah. It's always on the ready. I just got I to find it in one of the 130 <laughs> yeah, tabs. Where is it in all these spreadsheets <laughs> is the question. Uh, looks like 65 players under contract now for 2024. Uh research the credited seasons of all these recent guys. Most of these guys are have zero uh, credited season. So it puts them at the 795,000 mark, the minimum. There are, however, a couple of them that uh, like Josiah Scott uh, has several credited seasons. You know, him and Marquez Callaway are, are you know, who was in that, in that initial bat, batch, uh, they're interesting futures guys in that they have, I think, four credited seasons uh, under their belt. And even though their salaries are listed at one point one two five million dollars, you get the you get the veteran benefit uh, 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 aspect of the deal. So they have reduced cap charges at nine hundred and eighty five thousand. Uh, Denzel Mims is one of those interesting guys that he's got, I think, three credited seasons. Uh, so he technically, from a cap standpoint, is the most expensive uh, guy the Steelers have of all these futures guys at 1.055 million, uh, overall, uh, it moved the cap needle just a little bit with these, uh, five guys, uh, not, you know, not huge, but, uh, I mean, the team is according to my estimation and based on a 242,000, uh, 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 2024 salary cap number. They're at 17.570 million over the cap right now. So I'll have an update on that. I think on Sunday, we'll see if they sign any more 
future guys between there, but that should. And once again, like you said, the five most recent guys, uh, I think had spent some, some time on the practice squad this past season. Can you explain what exactly a reserve future contract is? Is that a one-year deal for the player's minimum salary based on experience? And does that change if they were to make the team come September? Well, it, it, I, I think you can negotiate the salary to whatever you, you want it to be. But it's, it's, it's 99% of the time, I think it is a, a minimum for their credited season. And the reason they, they attach the reserve future tag to it is because technically the start of the new league year does not start until March. Mm-hmm. So it's a kind, it, it's a, it's a reserve future. It's a, it's a, it's a post post dated, uh, uh, contract, meaning that this contract will not technically go into, uh, effect until March. Okay. Uh, and then one year, is that yeah, I, I, yeah, I think one one year is a standard on those. Yes. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. So we'll see if any of these guys and make not, it. We'll... None of them ever usually include signing bonus. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it it it's basically, hey, do you want do you want to try out for a job? Yeah. And obviously, we can only pay you uh, the minimum for whatever your credited seasons are. So most of these guys you see are either uh, zero credited seasons or one credited season, but like, like I just mentioned, but you got guys like, I mean, Luke Barku, has got a, uh, uh, what I think two or three credited seasons at, at a 985,000, uh, uh, Saudi, you got a guy like Ryan McCollum, who's got, I think one credited season, Does Jonathan uh, Marshall have anything, uh, Jonathan Marshall has, I believe two two credited seasons his his minimum salary is 985,000 if i'm not mistaken there des fitzpatrick's another one that they've they've signed there so the guys that they have signed already to uh reserve future contracts of that list Ryan McCollum, Kalen Barnes, Jalen Elliott, Jalen Elliott, Devere Hamilton, Thomas Graham, Luke Barku, Jonathan Marshall, Des Fitzpatrick, Marquez Callaway, Josiah Scott, and Denzel Mims all have more than one credit, more more than zero credit, or have at least one Mm -hmm. credited season, I should say. And and a credited season is different than an accrued season. Uh, Credited season determines your actual, what your pay level is, whereas a crude season works towards free agency. And the difference is based on how long you're either on the team versus on the 53. Is that how credited versus accrued gets? Uh, Credited season is three games or more on a either 53-man roster or IR or something like that, whereas a crude season is six games uh, oh. uh, in, 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 in a season to, uh, to get an accrued season. Gotcha. Good information there from our salary cap expert, Mr. Dave Bryan, uh, stuff that, uh, people <laughs> bore, boring stuff, stuff that, uh, I, I enjoy, uh, figuring the nuts and bolts out of that's, that's what we're here for the community. There, there's a couple of people listening. I'm sure that can appreciate that. I do at least. All right, Dave, going back to the Coaching situation here in Pittsburgh, some uh, things happening to the Steelers staff themselves. Report coming out on Wednesday morning. Steelers quarterbacks coach Mike Sullivan will interview for the Raiders offensive coordinator job. They've been busy casting a pretty wide net for that job over there. As Bo Hardegree, who replaced 
the other OC, whenever they had all coaching changes, has not been retained by now official head coach Antonio Pierce for the Raiders. And so they're filling out their coaching staff and Sullivan on the interview list over there. Jerry Dulac seems to believe that uh, Sullivan will not be retained. The new OC will uh, you know, basically bring in his quarterback coach, not have Sullivan hanging around. So uh, it appears Mike Sullivan's time likely running out in Pittsburgh. Man, he's been in Pittsburgh a little while now, hasn't he? Uh, 2021, so a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems a little bit longer than that, I guess. But uh, and that wouldn't be shocking if he's out the door with a new OC coming in. Yeah, I mean, it's you know, it's gonna be a big transition for that quarterback room. New OC, new quarterbacks coach. I like Sullivan. I respected his background, his coordinator experience, his discipline approach. Um, you know, I thought he the way he taught the family of coverages, you know, you know, pretty well for those young guys. But you know, th- not a big shock overall. A new OC comes in, kind of new coaching staff, new philosophy, get more people in line with that. So not gone yet. Don't know if he'll get hired by the Raiders. Um, but he's being interviewed, and and we'll go from there. Uh, and he seems to think that he likes Pat Myers' uh, chance of staying, I guess. Yeah, and I have as well. I mean, I know there's been some criticism of Pat Meyer, but with the way they ran the ball, the way that Mason Rudolph you know, consistently credited Meyer for good run game answers and the way this run game really evolved over time, they got better against you know pass pro, against overload blitzes. They were really rough early in the season, identifying, picking some of that stuff up. They improved as the year went on. And I just think they got so tired of all the turnover with the O-line coaches to go from Munchak to Surrett to Clem and then Morgan as the interim and then Meyer's been here for two years with a young group you're trying to find some consistency and that's not the sole reason why you should keep a coach it should be merit-based but I think Meyer has done enough in, in terms of the run game coordination run game planning to stick around for one at least one more season all right Mike Munchak's name was back in the news this past week tell the people why we didn't feel it necessary to really write that up just yet yeah, I didn't really comment much on it because, A, there is no opening in Pittsburgh. They have an O-line coach in Pat Meyer who I kind of expected to stay, and that's not been essentially you know, reported and confirmed by Jerry Dulac. They have an assistant O-line coach in Isaac Williams. In the reporting, 98% of the article that came out about Munchak was about him having a desire to go back to Tennessee, and that was essentially if Mike Rapel was going to stay there, and of course he's not. He's been fired by them, and you know maybe following Rabel. And there was something in the report about him, Munchak, maybe considering other opportunities if they kind of fit from the coaching standpoint, geography standpoint. But it was such a throwaway comment and so vague. You know, if he gets a job somewhere, we'll talk about it. We'll write about it for sure. If if Pat Meyer gets, you know, the axe and there's a no-line opening, then I'm sure we'll talk about it then. But that article was mainly focused on Munchak going to Tennessee if Rabel stayed, if there was an opening which is not relevant to Pittsburgh in really any meaningful way. Okay. Uh, What else in the coaching staff circles and front office circles? Yeah, we know an addition of one person and the departure of one individual. We'll start with the latter. Uh, Head strength and conditioning coach for the Steelers, Marcel Pastor, is leaving the team after 23 years. Most of that time spent as the assistant uh, strength and conditioning coach, but he was promoted to the head role three years ago. And so he made that announcement on his LinkedIn page on Tuesday. Thank the team had great remarks, not seem to be a messy departure or anything like that. Um, you know, said nothing but good things about the organization, about the team. Um, but he is apparently leaving. So he was the guy that had that great arm at training camp. He would always form Ben up uh, early in practice and uh, yeah, been in Pittsburgh for you know 23 years. I see a lot of people talking about that arm. Expand on that a little bit. 
Yeah, I mean, he was noticeable at training camp. You know, they do in special team drills where they wouldn't have the kick or kick sometimes for their return drills just to, to simulate it. And Pastor would be the one that would, you know, fire the ball 60 yards downfield <laughs> to kind of simulate the kickoff. So the dude had a heck of an arm for sure. All right. Uh, did you tell the folks about uh, so, some other interviews some guys on the staff are having? Uh, oh, yeah. I forgot to mention one. Uh, Gerald Alexander just kind of tucked away in Albert Breer's notes yesterday. Um, he's apparently has interviewed Alexander has for the New England Patriots defensive coordinator job, which has opened up with, you know, Gerard Mayo uh, becoming the head coach there and defensive you know, changes there. Belichick kind of the de facto D.C. whenever he was the head coach of the Patriots. So it does not sound like Alexander is the favorite for the job, but he has interviewed for the job when he played for the Patriots before. So. That is worth noting. Alexander has kind of been an assistant on staff for a couple of years now. Not entirely sure he has a position. Does he have a position group, Alexander, um, in terms of his title? Or is he just kind of defensive assistant? Uh, what do they call him on the Steelers play page? Uh, assistant defensive backs coach. Okay. Okay. So he was a, a what a DB in the NFL uh, interviewing for their uh, DC job. So. We'll he, he's to- he's another up and comer. He's like a defensive side of uh you know uh, uh, of Zach Robinson. You'd have to think uh, on the path that he's at, on right now. At some point, probably probably not this off season. Maybe next off season, he's going to be a defensive coordinator, right? Potentially, I think he's a little bit greener than maybe Robinson. And I don't know as much about Alexander's coaching background. I think he was kind of more of a, just a broad base assistant who was on staff and never even kind of mentioned. I think like last year, and then kind of was officially acknowledged by the team, I believe it's past off season and is carrying that assistant DB's coach title uh, alongside Grady Brown, the actual secondary coach. So we'll see. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll get the job. I don't think he will, but, but he's certainly getting some looks around the NFL. All right. I think we talked about this on the live stream. I don't remember if we talked about it on the last version of the podcast, but uh, all-star game coaches. Yeah, there's um, two of them, including Alexander. He is, I want to not get mixed up here. I believe Alexander is doing the Shrine Bowl as the linebackers coach, if I'm hopefully correct on that. And then Isaac Williams will be one of the uh, offensive line coaches for the American side for the Senior Bowl taking place in a couple of days. All right. Look at them tackles and centers. Yeah, I should mention, as I kind of look through the list some more, because I think it happened on the live stream, or maybe during the podcast, that Williams, uh, one of the guys who'll be coaching is Cedric Van Pran Granger from Georgia, one of the top centers in this year's draft. So a good chance to to really work with him. All right. Good, good, good stuff. And we'll, of course, have uh, some staff members going two different directions here in the next couple of days, uh, sending, uh, I think three to the shrine bowl and a couple to the, uh, senior bowl. So it's that time of year. I got all the sheets ready for the guys and starting to learn about a couple of prospects here, uh, as part of it. So yeah, it's draft season. Yeah. We'll talk about one of those prospects in just one second, but one more, uh, Pittsburgh Steelers housekeeping front office note. Appearing on the team website yesterday, or at least in the very recent couple of days, I saw it last night, is Donovan Moore Jr., who is now listed as a football analyst for the Pittsburgh Steelers. According to his LinkedIn profile, he was actually hired by Pittsburgh back in September. So it takes a while for the website to update, apparently, um, but that makes sense. So basically working in analytics, advanced stats, um, he replaced Will Britt, who left for the Cowboys in the summer of 2023, and so they hired uh, Moore Jr. before the year began, and him and Tozen Kazim are the team's two kind of football analysts, and 
again, seems to be that advanced uh, analytics background, which his team may be embracing more under Omar Khan and Andy Weidel. Good eye, good eye, good eye, Alex. Uh, warming up your eagle eye for uh, for the pro day circuit here. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, you know what's interesting? Just talk about some of the the coaching and front office searches. Andy Weidel did not receive, to my knowledge, one interview request this cycle. Huh. Which I thought he would have gotten some looks. I was, you know, kind of one of those rising names. I mean, unless he either declined them or I don't think Pittsburgh can block if your actual GM interviews, because that's a, an upward move from assistant GM to actual GM. But I thought he would get some looks and he's been quiet this entire cycle. All right. So at least right now, it feels like they'll retain him for at least another year. Yeah, it's certainly looking that way. All right, Dave, speaking of the NFL draft, as you mentioned, Senior Bowl coming up, and one of the names who will be down in Mobile is Darius Robinson, the defensive lineman from Missouri. As we talked about the first profile I have written this draft cycle, um, you know, you had mentioned, you brought him to my attention, the size, the length, he kind of fit, you know, from a, a baseline measurable perspective, everything Pittsburgh looks for, 6'5", 300 pounds, nearly 35-inch arms, a guy I really wanted to see the tape on. I, I do like the tape. I like the scheme fit. Maybe not quite as impressive on tape as I you know, maybe anticipated or kind of hyped myself up for, but a, a strong physical player with a good, good bull rush, versatile, and I can certainly see him being attractive to Pittsburgh. Uh, I can as well. I only watched one game, uh, the Tennessee game, and the thing that stuck out to me, uh, with him is, uh, uh, and I think you noted this when we talked before we got on there was the overall build looks a little, a little finish for his listed measurables. Uh, but the, the long arms that we talked about the other day, uh, are evident in there. He loves that bull rush. He loves to get those arms extended, uh, does a good job of making hay, at least in that game against, uh, Tennessee of, of getting push, uh, in the pocket, uh, a little robotic, uh, mm -hmm. in, 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 in just that one game that I saw uh, can get stuck on blocks. Uh, you've, I think, watched a couple more games than I have. You say that there is a a, a bat swim element to his game. If if uh, uh, as an initial move, uh, obviously does not have the hips or the gap the ability to explode into a gap is say a Benton or the way to it, or even Hargrave uh, doesn't have that level of, of my, in, in my limited viewing of, of, of he, he is a bull rusher that needs to develop counters off of that. Uh, and it seems like there's a little bit of a limit to the athlete. To, to the explosion athleticism to him in, in getting into gaps. Yeah. I think he's refined and technical. I think his hand use is really impressive in terms of block shedding. I think as a pass rusher, you've seen different moves. You've seen the bull, which is kind of his bread and butter, but he works the club over um, swim a little bit of the chopper, you know, rip, even try to spin move once though. It's certainly not going to be a strength for him, but 
I, I've seen him win in different ways, but yeah, he's a little, you know, a little lanky, a little tall, a little tight overall, not super, you know, his, his snap timing is good, but it's not super explosive, not incredibly bendy. Again, the way that Benton's able to kind of, you know, flatten and be able to squeeze through, um, he's, you know, he's not going to be a super high, high impact pass rusher. So, but I, what I think is interesting about him though, on, on the positive side is he plays in a scheme that's kind of like Wisconsin. He was playing, you know, three, four base end, a lot of four eyes and five technique. He even stood up on his feet a couple of times uh, for the Tigers. He played defensive tackle until 2023 and they kicked him out to defensive end. So he's kind of got some inside outside versatility. There was some defense that ran, you know, run stunts and different uh, games in the pass rush, uh, you know, schemes. And um, it was a defense that reminded me of Wisconsin. It reminded me of Pittsburgh. And that kind of helps make that projection easier. So that's going to be attractive as well. Uh, looking at what Draft Scout has on him, they list him as six foot five and one eighth, uh, 296. They have a uh, 40 range time of, or a low time of 4.75 on him, a uh, flat out 40 time of 4.83 and a range high of 4.92. So this is a guy that once, uh, uh, once he gets to the combine, you would expect to run under five. He's going to be at the senior bowl. Uh, they initially have him projected somewhere between second and third round. Uh, I think that body type, the Steelers will be attracted to him, mm -hmm. uh, because of at least what we know about him from a measurable and what I have seen from him on a, from a, from a limited tape standpoint, they will be talking to him. Two-time captain voted two-time team captain. I think that's important. Yep. Uh, when it comes to him. Uh, what else was there on him? He's a really uh, high character, um, right. you know, super respected, uh, first team, all sec. He, he could have gone to Michigan. He's a Michigan man, but wanted to go and play in the sec. And that's the kind of stuff that, you know, Mike Tomlin's going to love for sure. My, and look, I haven't, I'm just scratching the surface here. My initial thought of him coming out of the, the tape was a third, third, third round guy. Yeah, I put a low second round grade on him is kind of where I came in to start. Um, I almost wonder if a 4-3 system might be a little bit better for him as a strong side at, uh, strong side end, um, just because he's a little bit, you know, a little bit leaner than I expected. But I think it can work in Pittsburgh. I think it's the frame to add some weight if need be. Man, he's already listed at 296. What do you want him to gain, 10? Yeah, I mean, it's just maybe just some more muscle, just maybe refining his body a little bit. Maybe it is just adding five or seven pounds. I should note as well, he's he's not played a ton of football. He didn't start playing football until his junior year of high school. Uh, he was a basketball guy in high school. And high school, the prep school he went to initially didn't even have a football program. He didn't start playing organized football until he transferred before his junior year and really didn't play much as a junior. He's playing tight end like his junior and senior season as well. So um, he's playing defensive line too, but he kind of was playing both ways. So he's not actually, he, was, he spent five years in Missouri. So he, he was kind of an older prospect from that standpoint, but has not been playing football since, you know, Pop Warner, the way that some of these stories have uh, played out. You roll back to last year and we hit uh, the first guy that we were talking about was Keanu Benton ahead of uh, the senior ball. And uh, I, uh, we both were pretty excited about him to get to his tape. And 
weren't weren't disappointed. I I I felt a little underwhelmed mm-hmm. uh, this year when going from measurable to tape. I agree. I, I think he's a fit. We're, we're going to talk about him for sure because there just aren't many guys with that body type, which Pittsburgh really you know wants, and it's so hard to find in this day and age. But when I was watching Ben, I was like coming out of my shoes, going, "This is a stealer," and I, right. I'm not quite as emphatic about it. I'm not going to call my shot on it with Darius Robinson. I agree, but we All have right. to we have to start somewhere, and we both uh, we both agree that this team is more than likely going to draft a defensive lineman at some point, right? They better, and if they're going to do it, you got to do it early. You can't spend a fifth-round pick and hope that's going to be the guy. Listen, whenever they, they drafted Kim Hayward, I don't remember what the conversation was exactly back then. That was 2011. I was a little young whippersnapper back then, but I'm betting it was kind of pan because you had already established guys in Brett Kiesel, in Aaron Smith, but they knew those guys were only going to play so much longer, and they needed an eventual replacement and not have to find that guy in the same offseason as they lose a key solar lose an Aaron Smith. And so Hayward sad his first two years. And, and, and that's you know, not what the case will be today in today's world. These guys play right away. But my point is you got to find that guy a year early as opposed right. to a year late. And so you need a high investment and you want to do it sooner than later. And this is a year you're probably going to start looking you know, pretty, pretty heavily at that possibility. Right. And, you know, obviously they got Keanu Benton up and comer had a, had a good rookie season and all like that, but he's more than likely going to continue to play more inside than he is on the outside. Right. I mean, he can play both. He was playing some more base end when Hayward went down, but they like him as a nose tackle. They want him to be a nose tackle and he's not going to, their goal is to not have him be Kim Hayward's one-to-one replacement. All right. Uh, Indulge me of who might be next on your list to look at. Uh, next is Zach Frazier, the center from West Virginia. My center is going to be high, I assume, on Pittsburgh's list. And so um, that's going to be one of the top guys. And I'm excited to watch his tape. All right. I'll see if I can't cram something in on him to add some back and forth next time we talk. All right. Good deal. Anything else, Dave? That was kind of the big stuff I wanted to go over. Anything else that you're looking for or anything else you wanted to mention? Uh, let's talk about the cornerback room mm. for the 2024 Steelers as it sits right now, uh, because my initial thoughts on this coming out, first and foremost, let's talk about what there a Levi Wallace report out there by Fowler. Yeah. Was it a report? It was just kind of him saying Specul- he could see spec- report. Yeah. You know, it's possible that Wallace could come back on a one or two year deal. All right, my initial thoughts immediately before even looking at anything and diving deeper into this is, uh, you know, uh, my gut wanted to tell me that first round cornerback might not be a thing this year. But when you dive deep into, I mean, we just talked about uh, how this team has 65 players currently under contract for the 2024 season. We'll roll through the bigger names here. Uh, Patrick Peterson, It's uh, there's a decision coming up on him uh, in March when it comes to that roster bonus. Either he'll survive it, and if he does, he'll, he'll more than likely be on the roster. If he doesn't, 
Well, there, there, there's another body uh, to replace. Levi Wallace is unrestricted this offseason. Uh, Chandon Sullivan is unrestricted this offseason. James Pierre is unrestricted uh, this offseason. Uh, the guy, the other guy is under contract uh, currently. Obviously, Joey Porter Jr., that's going to be one of your starters in 2024. Uh, who else is under contract? Obviously, you got Corey Trice, your draft pick, who unfortunately uh, spent the season on IR. Darius Rush, who saw only limited time, not only dressed, but on the field. Uh, during his rookie season is, is I classify a developmental project along with, with, uh, with Corey Trice. Uh, I mean, who else, who, who else do you have in, in that room other than these futures guys? Yeah. And the futures guys don't have a ton of experience. Uh, Barku played for Jacksonville, a handful of games in 2020 and he was in camp and, you know, he'll be back again, we assume, but it's, uh, it's a pretty thin group that has not played a ton of football outside of the, the top, you know, three names. And that room can get even thinner depending on what happens with Patrick Peterson. And right now I'm 50, 50 on whether or not they're going to pick up this, uh, uh, this roster bonus on him. Uh, he, what, what does Patrick Peterson give this team as far as a cornerback goes? Well, yeah, as I mentioned, I think his outside corner days need to be done. I think he can still play in the slot and then working off of that, you know, just having that versatility to kind of bounce around in the secondary is going to be something that you'll have to replace if you do move on from him. All right. Uh, Within all that, there's only a couple of ways that you can help that, that you can start refilling that room, right? Free agency. Uh, if they re-sign Levi Wallace, man, and uh, if that comes to fruition, that better be a cheap deal. That that better be a bridge, uh, you know, a, a guy would start because he doesn't give you much as a special team guy. Yeah, it gives you nothing, really. What does he do on special teams? Nothing. I mean, what is he averaged as far as special team snaps over the, over the course of his career, like 30 check. or 40? Yeah, and is that even like field goal block? I mean, he doesn't play on. He played forty-two special team snaps this year, and I don't even know when those came. I mean, probably field goal block because I don't think he does anything on. I know he doesn't do anything on punts or kickoffs or anything like that. So you're, you know, if you bring him back, you can bring him back, but you bet it better be with the eye of being cheap and knowing that he's probably not going to or hopefully not going to play a lot of snaps for you uh, uh, as a starter. And if he doesn't, then, I mean, it's hard to give a guy like that a helmet if he's not helping out on special teams. I imagine they'll bring one back of Pierre or Wallace. But I'd rather have Pierre, to be honest with you, just because I know what he brings brings you on the special teams aspect, you know? I get that, although as a corner, they just that ship has sailed. They've tried right. it. He, they just don't trust him. He's not ever shown the consistency. I mean, yeah, he can do it and took a couple of snaps in emergency situations this year, but they do have more trust in Wallace to be an actual. Like, Wallace could be a potential nickel sub package type of corner. Pierre is really just a, a gunner, a good one, but really just a gunner. All right. Uh, when you, you know, everybody will say, well, what's going on in free agency? Who are, who are some of the top names when it comes to that? Uh, everybody's going to 
watch what happens with Jalen Johnson circling back to last year and supposedly uh, the Steelers having it, you know, maybe interest in, 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 in trading for him. Uh, uh, is he a fit? Absolutely. In my opinion, he would be a fit uh, for the Steelers. The thing is, and there was a report uh, since the season ended, right? Where, where Ryan, uh, what's his last name? Uh, uh, Ryan Poles. Poles. Uh, basically said that he's going to, he's going to be back. So uh, to make that happen with them, they're more than likely going to have to slap the franchise tag on him. And if indeed that's the case, the only way he escaped Chicago is for them to, uh, to trade, to, 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 to tag and trade him. And I don't think you go, if you're, I mean, I knowing obviously he's, he's an asset to them. They would probably want to, you know, a nice penny to, to trade him under the tag. And then on top of it, any team that acquired Jalen Johnson from the bears while under the tag would have to first be able to accommodate that. I think it, what is it? What's his projected tag number? Like uh, nearly 19 million mm-hmm. uh, at this point. So let's say the bears tagged him and, and, and wanted to trade him and the Steelers were interested in it. They would first have to accommodate, that high tag number under the cap and then work out a long-term deal on him. Uh, now, now obviously if they don't tag him, then it's on, you know, I, I think you've mm-hmm. got, I think you've got to throw your, your, uh, your, your hat in the ring and, and make a play for a guy like that, especially at his age, he's still young. Jeez. He's young. Uh, long story short, I, I don't think anything happens there with him. I think he remains in Chicago. Yeah, I think it wasn't even a report. Polls said it at his year-end press conference that Jalen is coming back, which means we're going to tag him if we can't do a long-term deal because they locked up Montez Sweat to a long-term deal, so they don't have to worry about putting the tag on him. Uh, the next guy I think that'll be on people's list when it comes to free agents is Legereus Sneed. Uh, you can see him potentially hitting free agency. But then you get into, okay, if Jalen Johnson is off the market, is indeed Legereus Need the top, the, 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 the top uh, free agent corner at that time? We all know that the supply and demand and uh, those guys usually get a lot of attention. And you have to wonder if the Steelers would be at the forefront of being a high bidder on uh, an unrestricted free agent like that. Yeah, it would, it would be top dollar. You'd be paying more to sign Snead than you probably have any free agent in Pittsburgh Steelers history would be my, my strong guess to that. And will Kansas city even let him get away because they become a, a more defensive oriented type of team. And Snead has played some really good football for them. So I don't know their cap situation. I don't know the outlook, but if he does get away, let's just say there'll be a lot of competition for his services. From you sit from where you sit right now, do you think either Jalen Johnson or Legereus Sneed wind up wearing the black and gold in 2024? No, but that's an easy answer to give. Right. I think the odds of that are just you know, pretty low. You start going down the list of unrestricted guys uh, past there. You got Kendall Fuller, who I think the Steelers have shown some interest in him in, in the past, didn't they not, when he came out or whatnot? Yeah. I think I know I talked about him some around the deadline. I'd have he, to go back and check, but he probably they probably did. 
but he's also, he's, he's almost 29 years old. It feels like he's been around for a long, <laughs> long time. Uh, Chidobe Awuze, uh, is another one, uh, that could maybe potentially fit in, in, in that second tier. I don't think they'd have any interest in a guy like Stefan Gilmore at his age. I mean, he's 30, 33, I think at this point, uh, you're already, when you get past there, you're talking about the Steven Nelsons. I think that ship's probably sailed, uh, Kenny Moore, who, uh, couple of years ago. I mean, yeah, give me some Kenny Moore, but Kenny Moore is already 30 now. A door in the slot corner. I mean, and a, and a the slot, outside need. right now they might you know, look, they might yeah. have a, a need for a slot for sure. sure. For sure. Uh, uh, here, a Dory Jackson's another guy that we've talked about in the past over the years, but he's already 28. I, I feel like the, the, uh, uh, the ship is sailed there. Uh, Kason Nixon, who guy that I think we talked a little bit about, uh, head of that game uh, against the Packers because of their their need at at, 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 at corner. Uh, you're, but now you're already working on way down the list of of, of unrestricted guys. Uh, Sean Murphy Bunting is a guy maybe to potentially mm. keep a name on. I think he's going to be a free agent uh, coming. You know, uh, uh, after his time the contract ends with Tennessee. Uh, of all the names, not talking about. Obviously, the top two in Jalen Johnson and Legereus Sneed. Uh, I think when you roll down the list of guys that that maybe you could foresee the Steelers go after, it might be a guy like Bunting. Yeah, I hadn't looked at the list of free agents. I like that name. Um, did, again, did they have interest in him? I want to say they I did. I thought they did, yeah, to some trying, degree. I don't I'm know if they brought him in, but... Uh, trying to search it just here quickly. Um but that 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 rings a bell. Uh, but I, I could see that as being certainly more realistic than Snead or, or Jalen Johnson. Right. Uh, and then what really once you get past kind of those names that we that we rattled, I know we profiled them because yeah, I'm not profile. seeing anything on actual interest. But I'd have to do some more research. I think Nixon too. I like Nixon for he's a, he's a slot guy, um, but he's aggressive. He's physical. He plays to run hard. He is also a kick returner. I know right. defensive players returning kicks and punts in Pittsburgh is a foreign concept, but there is that as well. It's a small thing. But I, I think the last two names you mentioned, they they piqued my interest almost more than the top two guys, just from the sense of they're going to be cheaper and they're more Value guys. realistic targets, yeah, than than the others you mentioned. They're long. They they can uh I mean, even Nixon can't didn't didn't he move around? Did he wasn't just locked on the inside, I don't think. Yeah, you're probably. I think you're right. I'd have to look at his, you know, chart, but I, I view him as kind of a slot guy primarily. Uh, I haven't gone deeper down down the rabbit hole than that, uh, and obviously, you're 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 way down closer to minimum value guys probably at that point. Uh, but uh, if if they were to go the free agent route, I think you're more looking at a Nixon or, 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 or bunting. But I think your point is, you know, first round corner should at least be on the board, given the need and given that free agency may not be the path for the Steelers to go. And this looks to be a pretty decent class when it comes to corners that fit, fit because the, the Steelers like them, like them long, big physical. Obviously the Steelers played a lot of, uh, a lot of cover one, cover three this past year, along with some cover two. You want a guy that you think you can press 
and, and, and play some one-on-one. You want a guy that's obviously willing to come out and, and come up and help in the run. Uh, this feels like a good class, at least my, my initial uh, outlook on it, uh, that they could do something within the first three rounds there. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't have a particular name yet, but I've heard the same about the kind of the strength of the cornerback class. And so I think that does make they're probably going to take a corner at some point here. I don't right. know exactly when, but I think sooner than later would make the most amount of sense. And they could use a slot. They could use a slot too, yeah. couldn't they? Well, Sullivan's a free agent. There's really nothing there. They they kind of lost the element of that real rough and tumble physical slot guy since Mike Hilton left. Sean Bunting brought in for a pre-draft visit in 2019. Okay. I know Pittsburgh loves to circle back to those guys. So um, it was because he's, he's changed his name since. He was Sean Bunting coming out. Now he's Sean Murphy Bunting. So trying to okay. find that was a little tricky. But there's some dock connecting we'll be doing come for agency day. That's a great suggestion. Uh, okay. And we will obviously be profiling a lot of corner corners on the site here. Yeah, and then I think we've already started that, have a profile up on a Michigan DB today, and more to come for sure. All right, Dave, anything else here? Any, any other directions you wanted to take this show in? Uh, do we cover everything on the pre-draft uh, meeting? Yeah, I think so overall. Um, All right. Jerry Dulac did mention just other coaching. He said, you know, he said expected coaching changes. He didn't really mention anything other outside of Sullivan. Again, I expect more to more to happen offensively than defensively. There could be something defensively happening, but I think the offensive staff for more obvious reasons, will see more turnover than the defensive staff. Well, he said Terrell Austin expected to come back. His contract is expiring, but he believes he'll get a new, new deal in return in 2024. All right. Shall we get to some reader or listener emails? Yeah, let's get to some emails and close out today's show. All right, Chris Lockhart. uh, Good morning, fellas. Do you think that, the offensive coordinator hire could give us a window into the thought process of the organization. Meaning if the hire, if they hire a more traditional OC that wants to run the ball more, they'd be more willing to stick with the quarterbacks they have. But if they hire a younger, more innovative guy like a Kingsbury, they might look for a quarterback in the draft in that mold, more like a JJ McCarthy out of Michigan, he suggests. Uh, man, that's a that's a that's a broad question there. I don't I think as an organization, you probably I would think that they uh and and probably several more meetings to come this offseason, but I would think that they probably have a already a good idea of what their personnel makeup might be and what they want to generally be as an offense I guess long story short I don't think they say I I guess the question is is does the offensive coordinator dictate what they do at quarterback it's kind of loosely what 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 Chris is asking here yeah I mean obviously he won't have a direct role in who they pick but you know whoever we mentioned this before whoever they you know tab us to hire there's going to be a shared vision of what the quarterback situation looks like and that'll be one of the, the talking points in the interview process they all have to be on the same page and so when the hire gets made they're all in lockstep about how they're going to approach the offseason do you believe in Kenny Pickett can you make him work I, I I get the point I get the question and yeah if they were to 
you know, bring in somebody like uh, a Kingsbury, a Luke Getze that's kind of worked with a more mobile quarterback, then that's going to open up that conversation. But I, I don't think it necessarily has to or will directly point to that. I still believe the team when they say that, you know, it's going to be Pickett and they want to re-sign Rudolph and essentially have those two guys duke it out in camp to be the starter. And we're going to know, more than likely, we'll know the offensive coordinator before we find out what happens with Mason Rudolph. Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, the coordinator should be hired within two weeks, and Rudolph, you know, situation won't be resolved until March at some point. And and, and to your point that you made as well, if they bring in an OC and they go in a completely different direction for the quarterback, unless it's a free agent, uh, 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 Kirk Cousins, which really wouldn't be a stylistically different type of quarterback, we're going to know in terms of a draft pick. They're going to be on the pro day trail if if they really want to you know, change up and, and, and go to the draft for a top tier quarterback. They're not going to hide that from us. We're going to be well aware of that before April's draft. I mean, we should get a sense that they're showing up at all those pro days like they were a couple years ago, right? Yeah, they're going to do the whole, you know, great tour, barnstorming tour across the nation as they did back in 2022. So, um, again, my, my thought is that the whoever they hire as OC will have the shared vision that they're going to work with Kenny Pickett and hopefully Rudolph this year and try to make the best out of those two guys. Okay, Kevin from L.A. writes in, I recall you guys once saying that you didn't have a rating system for players coming out in the draft. However, I would like to know your thoughts on what your player profiles have on Mason Rudolph and Kenny in terms of their ceiling since Mason had a first round grade according to the Steelers at the time he was drafted it makes it interesting to know how close they are in terms of tools uh, at this point we can only hope they play to their potential under a new experienced offensive coordinator given Mason returns, he writes. Thanks for what you guys do. There's nothing like hearing the podcast intro, he says. So thanks for that, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, look, back. we have kind of a more – tell them about the kind of the grading system that we've used mm-hmm. for, 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 for these guys the last couple, couple of years now. Yeah, starting last year, I went to Jonathan Hightrader, kind of lead some of our draft content, and said let's put in kind of a standardized – grading system of some sort to try to, you know, give a little more quantifiable way to, to evaluate and, and mark these players and compare, you know, past years. And so that began last year, carried over into this year. We didn't have that, um, you know, I think for Pickett's class and certainly not for Rudolph's class. And so I'd have to go back and look at the reports and, you know, I, I don't even know who wrote the report on Rudolph way back when. So I, I couldn't really give a great comparison be- between the evaluation of those two guys and their ceilings when they came out of the draft. The thing I remember about Rudolph that year was a writing a lot about him pre-draft because of Kevin Colbert was giving interviews and there was a uh, obviously Mike Tomlin uh, showed up at the Oklahoma State Pro Day and we wrote about Rudolph and James Washington there. Uh, I did some pre uh, uh, tape study on him. And then obviously after he was drafted and there's, you can see uh, there's like, what did I do? Like four contextualization, three or four contextualizations on, on red zone. And I mean, I, I did a bunch of study on him uh, after the draft there. Uh, 
I my main takeaway from what I remember on Mason Rudolph was he was a strong arm guy, a pocket passer, uh, a guy that did not extend. There was some extended play, very very limited uh, in his college tape, uh, but not enough for you to say this is a guy that extends plays. You mm-hmm. know, uh, especially at the time, you know, when 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 comparing to what. You know, Ben Roethlisberger had obviously done, you know, up until that point in his career. Uh, I remember the seven rules of the, what was it? The the Bill Parcells, seven rules of drafting a quarterback in him, which now really has become obsolete now because of the underclassmen and, and the movement. Although I think, didn't Kenny Pickett check all those seven, seven? I think seven rules of the bill parcels. Uh, I, I was, I, I, I remember this. I was higher on Rudolph than most in that draft class. Yeah. I don't remember. I don't recall my thoughts. Um, I think the concern more broadly was the system. You know, you play in the big 12, you're in a wide open system. That was the concern with James Washington because he was what the one-sided player, you know, just kind of didn't run the most advanced route tree and and Rudolph has overcome that. But that was my thought. I'm I'm looking back at the report on Rudolph and uh, somebody not with the site anymore wrote the report and it's been a while, but it's, it's pretty spot on Um, talked about his accuracy and ball placement were most attractive um, takes what the defense gives him, kind of safe with the football overall, not you know an issue outside the pocket and scrambling and extending the play. So it seems to be a pretty accurate report to how his career has turned out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's about, and as far as picket goes, I mean, a lot of the things that I think were, were worrisome about it, about his tape, about leaving the pocket and, and things of that nature have, 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 have carried over so far. Uh, not, you know, obviously not big time, uh, down the field arm strength. I think picket, I think picket can make a lot of the throws, especially far hash to, to, to the outside and all, uh, we obviously haven't seen, uh, uh, enough stuff with him towards the middle of the field. Although he's had his moments, you know, the game against what was it? The jets, his first, first appearance standing in, in, in the pocket and delivering, uh, that with the rush, but there hasn't been enough of that. Obviously, yeah, he's been more of an outside the numbers kind of guy. You do have some level of mobility to him more so than you do with 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 a Mason Rudolph, in my opinion. But you know, uh, it goes without saying. Uh, re- regardless of what people's feelings are about Pickett and Mason Rudolph specifically to this point. You got to get an offensive coordinator in there that can hopefully unlock more of the upside. What what may or may not remain with either of those two? Uh, it's it's it. The quarterback position, as we've talked about several several times, is is very important to this team in 2024, and they've got to get better quarterback mm-hmm. play out of whoever that person winds up being, and it makes you wonder if it winds up being either Pickett or Mason. It you, you, you are left. You can't help, but wonder how much more they can get out of either one of those two guys. 
I agree. And for Kenny Pickett, it has to happen. It has to happen in 2024. There is unlikely to be a 2025 to give him a chance to fix things if things don't go well in 2024. If you're three years in the picket and the results aren't there, you're now talking about, okay, we got to find a quarterback again. So unless Rudolph is a starter and has a great year or something like that. So this is make or break. And maybe Pickett can do it. And I want to see him in a new offense. And I want to see him in a new system. And I mean, he did play. He played really well in that one full game post Canada against the Bengals. I know they only put up 16 points. You had the Deontay near touchdown that got overturned, the turnover the next play. But Pickett, to his credit, he was he played a really good game in that first one post Canada. And the only way we're going to find out more about him is if he wins the starting job, to, you know, in, 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 in 2024. Right. And so I, I think, and I take Pittsburgh at their word when they say it'll be a competition. And let's just assume it's Pickett versus Rudolph competing for the job that Rudolph resigns and comes back. But we know in their heart of hearts, Pittsburgh wants Kenny Pickett to win the job to see how he looks in the regular season, to give him that last chance. he That's why he's going to be QB1 and probably take the first rep of training camp when they report this this July because they want and kind of need Kenny Pickett to win this job. Agreed. Uh, but I do hope that they, if indeed Rudolph is brought back, that they that they make it a true quarterback competition. Sure. And we'll see what that looks like. Will they rotate each day? Will one start the first preseason game and then one start the next? How will they share reps? All things to talk about down the road, but very interesting because, again, last true quarterback competition to start a year. I mean, in the year that Ben got suspended, was there a competition? How did they handle that? Do you remember, Dave? No, I I don't remember specifically how that went about. Dennis Dixon. I'm trying to think back to how that year looked in camp because they knew the suspension was there. I I, I truly don't remember. That was with 2010. I'd have to go back and research, but maybe that was the last time. But even that wasn't the same because that was a temporary thing for whenever Ben returned, you know, that kind of stuff. Uh, all right, Scott writes in, can you compare, contrast the Shanahan versus McVay versus Andy Reid offensive philosophies, schemes? Which tree do you think the Steelers may prefer for an offensive coordinator candidate? And which do you think would be the best fit for Pickett? Is it possible they hire an OC from one tree, but a quarterback coach or a passing game coordinator from another tree to get the best of both worlds? Wow. Uh how would you compare? <laughs> I mean, geez. in this essay, I will. Uh, yeah. I, I don't have a tremendous answer off the the top. I haven't dedicated a ton of time to that. And, and trees are important, but at this point, you're, you're not beholden to one tree or one system. We might get a little too caught up in that kind of verbiage and background. You know, you're in different systems, different quarterbacks. The rate the quarterbacks get hurt in different you know skill sets, you kind of have to adjust on the fly and. You have more veteran coaches that have been around in the league for a while. They're going to be exposed to different backgrounds. So there's always a philosophy and background. I think you want to be aligned overall. You don't want your OC and your quarterback coach to have radically different views that aren't in lockstep and you're getting different information and not really working cohesively. So that's an element of it. But it, it, you know, just because your background might be more West Coast versus, you know, I don't know, something a bit more spread, it doesn't mean that, that you can't work. Right. 
I, I would think that they would want to stick, you know, more West Coast-ish, right? Yeah, I mean, Pickett, you know, he came up in a West Coast system at Pitt. And that's what he's comfortable with. So that'll be the background. But again, th- those are more broad-based terms. And what, it, what, it, what even is the West Coast today? You know, the West Coast right. isn't the way it was back in the mid-2000s where you're taking five-step drops from under center. You know, it, it's, it's all kind of blended together. Uh, is there a pot? I mean, look, uh, what? It's it's going to be a lot easier to reverse engineer this after the fact. Yeah, l- let's see what the hires are. We'll do our deep dives and we'll kind of evaluate it from there. Uh, let's see here. Brett Nile, do you understand why people are wanting the Steelers to trade for another failed high drafted Bears quarterback? Uh, am I right in assuming that the Bears obviously don't think he can be a franchise quarterback or they would not be willing to trade him? To me, why not just go with your current struggling first-round quarterback and not give up the draft assets? You make excellent points about the contractual reasons this is not likely to happen, and that should be attached to every Fields trade rumor report, he writes. Number two, at the time of his drafting, there was talk from the Steers that they had a first-round grade on Mason Rudolph. I don't know if you had the same valuation at the time, but has your valuation changed now? Now, after this run to the playoffs, do you think they were right? Uh, number three, in your opinion, how big of need uh, to the Steelers do, do the Steelers believe quarterback is? Boy, there's a lot to chew on there. Uh, everybody's everybody, anybody, including Fields, and and look, there's more Russell Wilson reports out there. There's go, we're we are going to continue to talk about. Fields, Russell Wilson, uh, uh, Cousins, until we have until <laughs> those guys either land or don't land. Uh, people want something different. That's why they're talking about it. Uh, as far as the 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 major media uh, heads, the Peter Kings, the I mean, who else? Uh, the reason they're talking about outsiders as a potential is because of what they portray the Steelers already having, uh, and, and, and believe it, that they need to go outside of that. Uh, I do believe that anytime anybody talks about Justin Fields, uh, they should look at what, what sets up after the fact with the fifth year option and all like that. I don't, I think people just look at it as, him landing there and not thinking about what happens after that. Not many people do. We do uh, talk about that aspect of it. I just think a lot of talk about it is because people, people don't like what the Steelers have now. Yeah. I mean, in terms of why Chicago's likely or seems poised to move on from fields, it's a fair point. If they don't think he's the guy, what makes you think Pittsburgh should trust that he can be the guy, but they're also picking first overall, have a chance to take, you know, a Caleb Williams who, you know, could potentially be a, a, you know, a real top tier, top five, top 10 type of quarterback. So if they weren't picking first overall, their calculation of things might be different, but I get the point overall and it's fair. Um, what else did he have to ask? Uh, we already That's kind it. of addressed the Mason Rudolph where we were evaluation and 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 all like that. Look, I I, I will say this, and Mike Tomlin, uh, 
uh, uh, back this up saying undeniable, uh, I think was the, the word that, that hit home with me with Mike Tomlin talking about Mason Rudolph in the, uh, year end press conference. Uh, I think Mason represented himself well in those final three, four games, uh, there, uh, enough that you have to consider if you can bring him back at the right price, do it. And that kind of tag teams into his final question. In your opinion, how big of need do the Steelers believe quarterback is personally? I think that, and, and Alex kind of said this earlier, I don't think that they're ready to give up on Kenny Pickett just yet, but in the same breath, I think they are, are, uh, they're, their fallback plan would be Mason Rudolph. And look, there I, I don't think it we'll see what happens in the pre-draft process. Like Alex mentioned, we should get a sense real quick if this team is now look, it this doesn't mean that you can't send somebody to uh to to, to your your quarterback coach or your offensive coordinator to a pro day, not have Mike Tomlin there and this team think about drafting a guy four fifth, six. You know, they don't have a six right now, I don't think, right? Or they have a six. They don't have a fifth. They don't have a fifth. So you would obviously have to do something there. But uh, it wouldn't – and there's a lot of holes on this roster and not enough draft picks, but I it would not hurt my feelings to see a quarterback at some point drafted in this class just to go through the process again. Mm-hmm. I think they will – there's a good chance they draft one. I think it'll be in that sixth, seventh round, late day three category. Um, yeah, to answer the question, I think if they can bring back Rudolph in their minds, they'll be content with Pickett and Rudolph, and they'll fill out the roster three and four for camp, however they fill it out. Um, in terms of them looking at quarterbacks, you know, wouldn't be a shock if Mike Tomlin turned up at the LSU Pro Day, right? Because it's right. LSU. And so Jaden Daniels will be there but there'll be other guys I'm sure to look at. And Daniel's probably not going to be anywhere in Pittsburgh striking distance, but you look at the other quarterbacks who kind of the, you know, Caleb Williams, not going to be the possibility. Drake may not going to be a possibility. So even if Tomlin's at those pro days, they're not getting those guys, but the, the, the next tier guys are who Michael Penix, right. From Washington and yeah. Bo Nix from Oregon. And if, and if, if, those, they, if, they, if they go out West, <laughs> which they never do, then right. it's okay. Game on. Right. If, 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 if Mike Tomlin and Omar Khan show up and look, if they're going to go to Washington, they're going to go to Oregon. Right. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't think we don't have the dates on those yet, no. but, but, uh, uh, if they show up at those two pro days and like you said, they're probably going to show up at LSU anyway. Uh, yeah, they're going to be at Michigan McCarthy, which is a later round guy, but right. they always go to Michigan. So it's like, those are hard to tell, but if they're at, those West Coast pro days, and it's okay. Ten and ten is up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to really think that. Okay, may maybe they they would it, it, you know maybe they'll be interested in draft one early there. Uh, all right, uh, Adam Guest. Uh, yeah, it's going to be real interesting to see. You know, circle circle those pro days when they come out mm-hmm. on, the, on on the calendar. Uh, there. Uh, let's see. Adam Guest writes in. He's he's got a bone to pick with uh, Alex here. Uh, uh, I just wanted to respond to Alex's challenge about providing a case to fire uh, Austin. 
Let's okay. assume he's responsible for the defense because if Tomlin is making the decisions, then that's also not a pro Austin argument. Even if he's not the reason why the team is underperforming, it's not like he deserves a job. Number two, they're first in spending in 2022 and second in 2023. As far as defense goes, they're 12th in EPA over the last two years. Uh, number four, they've had injuries, but it's not nearly as bad as people make it out to be in his 34 regular season games as DC. The team has played a 31 of 34 with four of the top five paid players, B 13 games with all five. Uh, C, zero games with less than three, uh, five, he has listed here. Player rotation is abysmal, leans on these studs to play 80% to 90% of the snaps, even when we have excellent depth as we did this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, we, we agreed that there were times where Herbig wasn't rotating in as much as we sure, thought sure. he should. Uh, and, and, and you can make, you know, why didn't. You know, could, could they have got Benton on the field more mm-hmm. uh, than they did? Uh, guys are constantly visible, visibly exhausted at the end of games, even stating it as much as themselves after games as TJ did after the Titans game. Number six, he has. Here's the most important factor, he writes. I won't list them all out, but look at the games against good quarterbacks. The numbers are bad, but the eye test is worse. The only time they play well against good quarterbacks is when divisional teams occasionally melt down as the Ravens did earlier this year with their receivers dropping wide open passes. Uh, Yeah, I mean, without a doubt, Baltimore lost that game more than the Steelers won that game. Uh, When we had a fully healthy team in week one and weeks to prepare, got smoked by a cutting edge offense. If you can't compete with those, you have no place in this league. He says, I'd rather swing and miss on the next three hires and get them out of the way than to have a solid to good defense every year that that can't compete with playoff caliber teams. All right. He's made his uh, very detailed case of pushback against uh, 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 you and, and, and your post on Austin. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. I think it's a, it's a good case, and, and and I wasn't saying that it couldn't be laid out. I just wanted to actually see it laid out. I think they did it well. Um, yeah, I would just say that you know Tomlin does have a pretty large role in this defense, and you know I, I look at the big three in terms of you know those guys, not about the other you know highest paid players because your big three are Hayward, Watt, and Fitzpatrick, and they have missed a lot of time without one of those guys being on the field. Watt half the year last year. Hayward half the year this year, Fitzpatrick potentially half the year this year, the back half of the season. And, and so those things are are really damaging. And then the injuries on top of that, just you know how thin you became an inside linebacker and thin at safety and how that changes your structure and your scheme and having to pare things down and the domino effect it has and what you can and, and cannot do. Um, yeah. Yeah. It, it's a fair point. The good quarterbacks have, have kind of, you know, had their way against Pittsburgh, but is a new DC going to change that? How is a new DC going to change that? Is that a scheme thing? Is that a personnel thing? You know, we can probably debate that some more. Um, but it, it, there's, there's some layers to that. Then, you know, what is a new DC going to be able to bring an offer that's going to change that against some of those top, top tier uh, quarterbacks? And how much of a puppet is that title? When it comes yeah, to Mike I, I Tomlin, mean, we, I mean, we're, we're, it's something that's been talked about forever and nobody really knows the answer to it. But, I mean, it, it, it does feel like Mike Tomlin has a heavy hand with what happens on the oh, yeah. side of the football. 
Yeah, there's no question about that. I mean, again, I think what Austin has been able to help bring is that turnover-focused mindset. Pittsburgh, and, and obviously when they traded for Mink in, in 19, that helped a ton too, obviously. But you know, Austin very much has that turnover circuit. The way they, they drilled things, they weren't doing the turnover circuit drills in training camp until Austin came in. And you've seen this team really be you know aggressive and ball hawking, taking the football away, which is so critical to winning in today's NFL, where teams will move the ball, they'll get yards, that's hard to stop. But can you get red zone stops and can you take the football away and Pittsburgh does both exceptionally well, essentially year in and year out. And I, I really do credit Austin for that. And again, just the overall, you know, six best scoring defense name of the game is points. Yeah. The yards they give up and, you know, some of those things were ugly and they had a couple of poor showings, no question, but you know, six in scoring defense and more, more than half their games this year, they allowed under 20 points. They were one of the top takeaway teams or so sack numbers have generally been, you know, pretty good average to to above average to tops in the league over the last, you know, three, four seasons. So just some of those, you know, benchmarks based on what they went through. There's criticisms of Austin, no question. And we were critical of them for the rotations and not playing Herbig enough, not playing Benton enough. And there's, there's some scheme things you can probably, you know, talk about. But to me, it doesn't reach that level of go fire this guy, especially again, knowing how involved Mike Tomlin is in the defense. You know, we talked about the cornerback position earlier in the show uh, outside of Joey Porter, who it took a while for him, obviously, to get implemented uh, heavily into into the defense. What did this team really have at corner? Yeah, they were you know relatively weak Patrick, there. Patrick Peterson's washed at corner, right? At outside, at, at, at yeah. Outside. And he was a mess the first month of the season. And they had their growing pains because they had a lot of turnover there, losing Cam Sutton, losing Terrell Edmonds, and they, they had to kind of figure out the communication aspect early on. But yeah, I, I, I mean, will say Chandon Sullivan played better than what I thought he would the moment they mm-hmm. signed him. But even so, I mean it you're not you're not going out of the way to bring that guy back on 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 a lot of money. And you would hope that you would be able to upgrade what he was what his role was was in. But I mean really what what did you know Levi Wallace is just a guy. I think we mm-hmm. agree on that. James Pierre is a special teams guy. Uh you don't know, you know, it's 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 too early to tell what 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 Darius Rush and Corey Trice Jr. might be, man, you damn sure you know uh, hope maybe one of those two guys can surface, but there's not enough there to to rubber stamp me. You know, what did this team have at corner last year other than Joey Porter? Yeah, it was kind of a mess. And what about safety? You know, Minka went down, and you know they they lost all those guys. So again, my my broad based point is, you know, they were a respectable defense that still held things together despite all they went through injury wise, especially down the stretch and and to persevere through that, not let it break you and kind of ruin your season. I give them a lot of credit for that. And look, Larry Joby, you wanted more than you got out of him this past year. Cam Hayward played on uh, one leg all season. Yeah. How many sacks did you get from the D line this year? Not that sacks are the end all be all. I talked about, you know, Benton's pressures, you know, being more impactful and more frequent than the one sack number might indicate, but you know, they really had not much there once Cam went down. Even when he came back as a pass rusher, he was not that impactful. What did they have in uh sacks? Like seven and a half sacks across the D line. Ogan Joby like. had three and he only, he had eight quarterback uh hits 
Cam Hayward had two sacks and three quarterback hits. Ooh. Uh, Benton had one sack, eight quarterback hits. Leal, ugh. one sack, two quarterback hits. Which was a face mask they didn't call against Cleveland. Right. Uh, yeah, good point. Armand Watts, I thought, I thought, did Armand Watts played slightly better than what I, I, you know, what I envisioned, but even so, uh, uh, half a sack, three quarterback hits. Uh, they, you know what? They almost have to resign Watts, don't they? At, at, at yeah, maybe, maybe a two year, you know, 1.5 million per something like that. They, they, mm-hmm. could, they could use him at least back in the room. I think, uh, Montrevious Adams missed a lot of time, no sacks, no quarterback, uh, hits. He's seen his better days. Not that they were great. Louder milk, mm-hmm. uh, one quarterback hit. And that was that, uh, uh, push pull, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's, it's yeah. bad. It's, it's bad when you can <laughs> remember <laughs> it's bad when you can roll back through your head, what that one thing was, uh, yeah. obviously. which was still caught, which wasn't his fault, obviously, right. but that was that duck that somehow who, was that against? Was that against Cincinnati? Green Bay? Wasn't Cincinnati, it? Cincinnati, yeah. Okay, you're right. Good call. Uh, once again, it's it's. We should be ashamed of ourselves that we were able to remember that, you know, mm-hmm. uh, at its core. So, uh, less, you know, other than as like the corner cornerback position. Thank God they had Joey Porter Jr. emerge in that room. And as far as the defensive line goes, thank God they had Keanu Benton emerge in that room. Right. And you could sit there and say, well, maybe, you know, you have to blame the coaching staff for not having enough talent and not, you know, giving them enough to work with. But that's not on Austin. Austin does not make personnel decisions. You know, he he coaches. He does not determine who they draft, who they sign, who they keep, that kind of stuff. Would you bring back? You got to bring back Armand Watts, right? Yeah, I would. I think as a rotational base end, um, no stackle in a pinch. He's, he's serviceable. He did fine. All right, let's see if we can get uh, one more in here from Justin Brisbane, right? Saying, uh, Justin Fields, I'm not as sure as either of you guys are that Mason will be back, hypothetically, if he isn't re-signed and goes elsewhere. What does that do for you as far as looking harder at Justin Fields? I like the idea of giving some draft capital to take a shot with him rather than than signing a veteran with no ceiling such as Tannehill or Brissett, etc., no thanks, he writes. Uh, also, do we not remember how absolutely enamored, in capital letters, Tomlin was with Fields at his pro day? There was literally memes about it. Find someone that looks at you the way Tomlin looks at Fields. Uh, have to fix this quarterback situation and running back uh, and running back and running at back status quo isn't good enough. Even Mason playing at the level he ended the season at isn't good enough. He writes, it was simply just better from very low bar that we had set the first three quarters of the season. Uh, addressing the fields versus Mason. I, I think those, if I don't, I don't think they're attached Mason and fields. I think it, it becomes comes down to how do you think Justin Fields is a guy that you can attach your wagon to? Uh, I believe that to be separate than 
than than than a Mason Rudolph discussion. I don't think it's like uh, uh, an either or. And once again, it goes back to Justin Fields. If 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 you're all in on him, you're all in on him, and you're not just all in on him in 2024 because you're probably gonna pick up that fifth year option. Yada yada. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does make sense. I'm with you there. Uh, and as far as Mike Tomlin being enamored, I mean, we've seen Mike Tomlin show up and, and, uh, at, at pro days and all, and Mike Tomlin is a lover of the process and he likes to get to know these guys. Uh, was, did, did he hit it off with, 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 with fields at his pro day? Yeah, I think he did. Do we read sometimes too much into, into that Mike Tomlin and, and how open he is with players at, at senior bowl pro days yada yada um i don't know i mean the history is pretty clear but you know i i just i think for all the reasons you mentioned for all the reasons that tomlin said you know he can still like justin fields can still respect him doesn't mean he's destined to become a stealer uh, i'll hit one more here from michael rock rock rocket uh writes in uh and he's from Harlem, Netherlands, uh, the rock from Harlem, somewhere in Netherlands, uh, dear dear men of the terrible podcast. Can you clarify why a coach with a losing record as a head coach in college? And this is about cliff Kingsbury, uh, head coach in college in the NFL is praised as, as the solution for the Steelers offensive coordinator position. Uh, Kingsbury had a losing record over his time at Texas tech. When Mahomes started in 2015, 2016, like Matt, like Matt Canada, this guy has had limited success. So I apologize for getting angry, but hearing, uh, other analysts like Peter King use the fact that cliff, uh, as a head, as a head cut, had many great quarterbacks as a reason to hire him is insane when results at all levels are losing seasons. Heck, I work with smart people. Should I get uh, my next job because of who I work with? He writes in closing, what are your positive and negatives about hiring Cliff? I think we've already kind of addressed that earlier in the show. Uh, negative warning flags and positive. Feel free to correct my l- reluctance to consider Cliff a good hire. Uh, he don't like Cliff. Yeah, I can. Uh, must be a who's Texas Tech's rival. I wish I Oklahoma. I don't know. Um, what I would say to that is, you know, you can be a really good coordinator, but kind of a lousy head coach. There are different skill sets. There's this. The sports world has this Peter principle of you get, you know, promoted and work up the ladder until you reach a level that you can't actually do. And then you fall back down. And so if you're a good coordinator, they think, oh, you can be a head coach. And there are two different skill sets. You know, there's value in being a good coordinator. But really, if you're a good head coach, the criteria for that is so much different than can you run an offense? Can you scheme an offense? Can you call plays? It's it, it's like one of a billion responsibilities you have as a head coach. So you can still be a good coordinator and, and good offensive mind and not have success in, in larger, more prominent roles. Okay. All right, uh, we will leave it there. Kind of started the show talking about Cliff Kingsbury at the beginning, and we'll end it kind of talking about Cliff. Uh, Did that answer his question well enough? Because it kind of went on a little bit. I mean, the first half was him talking about the head coach lack of success. Was he? Was there other elements that he didn't? Uh, just, you know, he goes on to say that uh, losing record, even when Mahomes in college, mm-hmm. uh, talk, you know, talk about Peter. Uh, look, I, I, 
Peter King's not my go-to guy when 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 wondering thoughts about an offensive coordinator. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't. No, consult him no, first. No, not not there. I look. I understand. Uh, look, I'll end it with this. I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is the perfect solution for what the Steelers are looking for at offensive coordinator. I'll leave it at that. Okay. I know I'm reintroducing a new topic, but I'm just seeing a comment here from uh, Doug Whaley apparently was on the fan talking about maybe it was difficult to get an OC to come to Pittsburgh. How attractive do you think the Steelers OC job is to candidates just overall? Uh, I don't think it's an ideal quarterback situation, obviously. And yeah, but how many I, OCs get to walk into ideal right, quarterback situations? Right. Uh, I mean, there's only there's only so many jobs in the NFL, too, and every offensive coordinator at its core probably thinks I can fix that or I can work around that, right? Right. Uh, I mean, at its core, look, the quarterback position is the most important position in, 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 in football, so it, it, it all starts there. Uh, but once again, some of these guys – wouldn't care what the situation is just to get, you know, uh, an opportunity to cut their teeth or, 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 or a second or a third or a fourth, uh, opportunity to see what they can do. Yeah. I mean, I, I get it. I don't know if it's the most attractive because as Whaley points out, as I'm reading this is will Pittsburgh pay them the most unlikely. We still don't know how much they pay their coordinators and staff, but I doubt it's top dollar. Um, and, and the quarterback situation is, is murky. There isn't a high draft pick to get a guy, you know, Chicago, it might be a little murky, but you have, you know, Caleb Williams coming, which is certainly really, really, you know, alluring. But, you know, I think the the big thing in Pittsburgh is you can run your offense. I mean, you don't have a, a head coach that's the play caller or is going to be really micromanaging your decisions, your game planning. You get to kind of run the show. And and that I think is maybe one of the, the larger selling points, plus just stability. You know, they, they want to keep guys. They don't like firing guys. You know, Canada was such that, that rarity. And so there's a, there's a stability and kind of culture and those things I think will be selling points to Pittsburgh. Yeah. And even though the quarterback position might not be as appealing at, at first glance, uh, you know, you would think that everybody would be able to sit down after the first season, assuming it is Pickett and, and Mason and say, man, the, the, the quarterback play held us back here. Uh, mm-hmm. We're going to move in another direction and let this, uh, uh, let this offensive coordinator see if he can work with the next guy. Yeah, exactly. Either after this year, either you sit there and say, man, you, you know, Kenny Pickett was fantastic. He turned it around. He's the guy we're excited. Or you sit there and say it didn't work out. Let's go find a quarterback next year. And the OC will have a hand in in picking that next quarterback, at least advising again, not making the decision, but we'll get to be part of that experience. So you know, one, one or two outcomes will have an upside to it after this year. All right. Uh, I think we got everything covered there. So I think we're an hour and a half into this time to wrap it up here. So, all right. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter slash X at Steeders Depot. Follow Alex at Alex underscore Kazora. Follow the show at Terrible Podcast. Email the show, the Terrible Podcast at gmail.com. If you like what we do and want to donate, SteedersDepot.com. Hit the donate button up right navigational bar. Also, if you like an ad free version of the site, go to SteedersDepot.com. Follow the directions. Find that link uh, uh, at the site as well, too. Alex and I will be back on Friday. Uh, who knows? Maybe we'll talk about more, have more candidates to talk about. Maybe we'll talk about another draft prospect or two as we get ready for uh, all-star game season here and everything that goes along with that. So uh, as always, thanks for listening to the Terrible Podcast with Dave and Alex.